Our first reading comes from the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God, and not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here ends the reading. The Holy Gospel, according to St. Matthew, the ninth chapter. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. You have received without payment, give without payment. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. I'm operating this morning on the assumption, and I hope it's a safe assumption, that uh, you read this month's newsletter. <laughs> that would be June 2023 here at Emmanuel. And if you didn't read the whole thing, at least my contribution, the pastor's piece, because in there I gave a brief introduction about a book that it turns out is pertinent again this morning. And I want to just jump into the why and reference it a few times without giving any of that background again, why I think it's important and so on. So if you haven't yet, please do circle back and read that newsletter. So in this book, The Happiness Hypothesis, St. Paul is given a lot of credit for understanding how the human mind works. Even when that understanding betrays what we might like to believe about ourselves or what our instinctual response is. You know, if we think about how we might operate in the world, we have a pretty rosy-eyed vision of ourselves, and Paul sees past that. So to give one very specific example, the reason I'm 
mentioning it today. Here in Romans 5, we read Paul's words that are really a celebration of the effect Christ crucified has on us. It lifts us out of the mundane day-to-day. It helps us see past our own struggles and hardships, even our own deaths, to put these things into perspective. We can see value in things like suffering that we otherwise would probably fail to see. I've heard from a number of people who took issue with these verses. They ask, what about those whose suffering is not overcome? What about those who collapse under the weight of their hardships? It joins an often cited, though barbarically paraphrased, sentiment from Paul that God only gives us what we can handle. So who gives us all the things we cannot handle? See, we don't like the idea of suffering. We like the idea of our loved ones suffering even less. So we instinctively pull back from the idea that it could be doing us any good, like it should be sought after at all. And to the extent which we suffer, we'd like it to be in God's hands. Like, if good's going to come of it, it should be on purpose, right? Well, not quite. In the happiness hypothesis, Haidt uses these verses in Romans 5 when talking about another hypothesis, an adversity hypothesis. And that idea, in its weak form, is that we humans can find ways to benefit from adversity, the adversities that we face. The strong form is that we cannot truly live in the sense of having meaning and purpose and being as happy as possible without facing at least some adversity. Again, citing Paul to start, Height gives three but kind of four examples of why adversity may in fact be good for us. The first is that it breaks that false image we have of ourselves. We say things like, I could never handle what she's going through. If I got news like that, I'd just give up. But we do not actually give up that easily. There's only one direction we can go, and it is uh, forward. So if what's ahead is difficult, most of us, most of the time, just keep marching forward. Yes, we are frail, sinful, mortal, weak in our own ways, and all the rest. This does not erase our nature, but... The fact is, you are stronger than you realize, and you can handle almost anything life throws at you. You can adjust and adapt. The second advantage is that it reveals something about other people as well. And if you or someone close has experienced, say, a a life-threatening accident or illness, you know exactly what this is like. You might call it separating your fair-weather friends from your real friends, It's not just about friendship, though. It's about what other people can handle, too. Some will rally in support. Others will pull away. Yes, you are still called to love those who have let you down. This does not erase our responsibility. Nevertheless, on the other side of adversity, you can remember how others handled it. You get some insight into how people really think, how they really feel, and so on. The third advantage is that it interrupts pursuits that may have seemed like a good idea, but maybe aren't so good. Again, how the mind actually works and our instincts about it don't always line up. People call diagnoses, accidents, and deaths wake-up calls. And this is what that means. 
we instinctually chase after stuff, money, power, prestige. It's an easy trap to fall into. Years, even decades can go by before you realize it was a trap all along. And again, this does not erase the fact that we need to work to live, to eat, and so on, but it rearranges our priorities. You've heard it said a million times before that this travesty which befell someone made them realize they need to spend less time working and more time with their family, or something to that effect. Why wait to learn that lesson the hard way when we've heard it a million times? Now, when I said there's three reasons, but kind of maybe four, it's because the fourth takes those together, kind of packages them together nicely, and, and height supports it with some more studies and this sort of thing. But here's the quick one, quick version. We get trapped on the hedonistic treadmill. This is the idea that as we chase after those things which we think will make us happy, bigger house, nicer car, more land, the, the latest gadget, more followers on social media, these, some of these are kind of generational, I suppose, it's like speeding up on a treadmill. Yes, it feels different, especially at first, but no matter how fast you get going, you never actually go anywhere. With rare exception, once you have food to eat and a place to sleep, there's almost nothing you can buy that will make you happier. Those exceptions are experiences, travel, vacation, seeing new things, novel experiences, and the costs associated with raising children. That's basically it. As Height puts it, adversity knocks us off the treadmill. That race that never actually goes anywhere of chasing after stuff and reputation. From the floor, having been knocked off, we are given a chance to, since we've stopped, we can think and make a choice. We can get up, hop back on the treadmill, keep working harder and harder to not go any further, or we can walk away from it. If walking away from the treadmill means walking toward those things which bring happiness long term, you will someday look back and be glad that adversity came along and put you on your behind. To this point, again with oodles of research to back up the claims, those three things to walk toward have been established. Spend more time with your friends, family, and any other community which you care about, the people. Spend more time in your religious practice, both personal spirituality and community efforts, volunteering, that sort of thing. Spend more time in that which you are passionate about. Find meaning and purpose in regardless of whether it brings in more money or social prestige or what have you. Spend your time and money on the things which no one else will ever see or know about simply because they matter to you. Notice how that strikes a balance between the tension of selfishness and selflessness. This isn't about running off to uh, what be a hermit and only think about yourself to worry about number one. Not at all. It's seeing what, it in, what in you connects you to the world in a way that matters long-term and engaging the world through that. Spirituality and other people are usually the key. So, Spending time with people you care about, 
doing things for other people, and religious practice. And then, again, like I said, the things you are passionate about as well, hobbies and what have you. So St. Paul, being the brilliant proto-psychologist that he was, recognizes that Christ crucified is, for us, an opportunity, he wouldn't use these words, but an opportunity to be knocked off that treadmill before such adversity befalls us personally, right? Why wait to learn the hard way? If the best, most moral, most innocent human being who ever lived can suffer rejection, humiliation, false accusation, torture, and death, the worst that has ever happened to anyone, and do so willingly because some good will come of it, not just good will come of it, but good for someone else entirely, us, we sinners who did not deserve a second thought, if Christ can willfully endure such suffering for our sake, What might our suffering do for Christ and for each other? Well, Paul spelled it out in a way that we might balk at, again, instinctually, but at the end of the day, it's true. Adversity builds character, endurance, leads to hope. Those in Christ not only have the opportunity to see it through Christ's suffering before we ourselves have suffered, but we have one more big advantage— Did you catch that one of the three things to do in order to benefit from adversity is to lean into religious practice rather than getting back on the treadmill, which would have us chase after material things and worry about what do people think about us? Knowing Christ crucified and risen, that the gospel spells your salvation, that you are safe, that no matter what adversity befalls you, you will live. Knowing all this before we fall to the ground means we can see Christ what, standing there, ready to help us off the floor. If we had kept reading from Matthew, you would have heard some familiar details about Jesus sending these disciples out. They are sent with no resources, no way to buy safety or security, no, nothing to show off to impress people. They are sent knowing they will face rejection and get left out in the cold. Why would Jesus send disciples out into the world knowing that they would suffer for it? Unless it was somehow good. Good for them, good for those they testify to, good for the kingdom, good for Christ himself. He wouldn't. So they, and now we, are sent like sheep amidst the wolves. But no matter what befalls us, we will live. With Christ's help and ancient wisdom in our back pockets, ready for when that adversity hits, we will live well. To turn a phrase from Christ elsewhere, he came to bring life and life abundant. The fact that we know we will live in light of the gospel gives us the opportunity to live abundantly now. And sure, maybe it takes adversity to knock us to the ground to make us realize we're going in the wrong direction, seeking after the wrong things. But life abundantly, either when adversity hits, with Christ's help, putting it into perspective, 
Or if we're lucky, we don't have to learn the hard way and we can see through Christ's suffering where purpose and meaning and happiness are found. I hope you find it there too. Amen.